uh, Lauren reached out to me and um, uh, to be on the podcast, and I was intrigued by your story. And actually, I vaguely remember a few things about you. And then um, when I was going back, it popped up an old me email. So we'll touch on that without getting too many specifics. Because um, <clears throat> as luck like you've had your share of struggles. Um, so you did your your did your residency in uh, University of uh, Missouri, right? Yeah, yeah, I did. I, I was there for a long time. I did undergrad, med school, and residency at Mizzou. Yeah. So... Um, I don't know if you knew this, but I used to go to Kansas City for hair transplants like 25 years ago. Did, did you ever hear that? that? No. Yeah. And Leland, Leewood, what's uh, the town you're in? Lee, yeah, Leewood, it's like on the southern side of Kansas yeah, City. Yeah, I, I actually, I've been there. Um, who, who did you know here? It's a, there's a guy by the name of Chuck Nelson who's dead now. He had um, he had a hair, a hair replacement outfit that was, uh, the headquarters was Kansas City. And um, I was doing hair transplant back then. And there was a guy, Kenneth Buck, uh, Buckwald or something, who was- Bushwhack. Bushwhack. Yes. He was a good guy. He was involved with the uh, with the Academy for a while, and then he just disappeared. I don't know if he's even still around, but um, he, was doing, yeah. you know, he was doing a bit of hair transplant back in the day. <clears throat> yeah, I think he, he just recently maybe retired. He may still work a little bit, but he actually helped me brainstorm about my whole practice years ago yeah. when I was dreaming this all up. Yeah. So Kansas City, was it, you grew up there? Yep. Born and raised in Kansas City and then yeah. was at Mizzou forever. So yeah. Midwest. It's a great town. And I think you were wise. And um, I see so many of our colleagues flocking to Beverly Hills and flocking to the Southeast and, you know, being part of a community and growing up there is, uh, is going to pay back big dividends for you, I believe, in, in time. Yeah. But so um, I knew you have two, two children right now, right? Yes, we have two young boys and it's been really nice to be close to home with my parents and my in-laws. It's, yeah. Yeah, it's great. Now, you, you went out on your own. And one of the things I wanted, I was intrigued by, I mean, you just went out in August 22, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah, we've been open for not even a year yet. So what I was intrigued about was that it wasn't like you had a family supporting you or funding all this, right? Uh, not exactly. I mean, your husband, you and your husband work together on this, right? Yes. My husband is in a different world. He's in the restaurant world and they do some property ownership and management. And so when I was like a fourth year resident, I was like, hey, I love facial plastics and I don't love the hospital environment. And so maybe I should think about like opening my own practice. And that's, he was like, yeah, you should. Like, why wouldn't you? You should work for yourself. You should own your own practice. Like we could, you know, help fund the building and the property and all of that. And I initially that like totally scared me. So I was like, well, I should like. Oh, it, find should, it should scare you. <laughs> yeah. I was like, I should find somebody who's going to retire. I should kind of like ease into their practice. Then they retire and. Um, that's like the safer route to go. And so I actually was asking around at Mizzou, like who knows the Kansas city community for facial plastics. And I got Ken Bushwack's uh, name and phone number. And so he kind of like gave me an idea of kind of who was here and kind of what practice types they had. And so I actually talked to someone pretty in depth. I signed an NDA about it all, but, um, 
it just didn't, it didn't make sense. Like for what I was going to buy, I was like, you know, arguably we're very different demographics on the spectrum. And so a lot of those patients will probably not come to me and they didn't own the real estate. And so that's kind of, it was like towards the end of my fourth year of residency. And I was like, maybe we should just look to build or renovate. Yeah. So, you know, I, I kind of, it's interesting because I kind of started mine when I was a resident too. And um, I guess I always had kind of this dream of, of going about it. What did you do when people said, like, what are you going to do? Like you're starting on your, how are you going to get patients in the door? What are you going to do to pay the bills? Those kind of things. How, what was your answer? I don't know. <laughs> but, but I'm a quick learner. And I think we honestly live in the best time right now. Like the fact that I can get online and market myself for no dollars right. and have essentially an unlimited reach. Like the opportunities today are like limitless, essentially. I don't disagree with you. I mean, I, it's, it blows my mind because never before were people able to get patients from a distance you know, you're bypassing magazines, you're bypassing, um, you, you know, marketing managers and, and all those sorts of things and able to reach people yeah. on a budget, a real, uh, yeah. <clears throat> I mean, there's no gatekeeper anymore because we all have access to everything, whether you want to post it or consume it. And, um, yeah, I don't know. I, so when people are like, well, how are you going to do it? I'm like, well, I don't I don't have to do it right away. Again, like my husband has an income. And so I was like, you know, as long as I'm not like bleeding a ton of money and I can have the bank at least see my growth like over time in terms of my business line of credit, like I, I just have to focus on like doing good work and like one patient at a time and like I only have to see like one patient a day, right? In the beginning. And then one patient turns into two patients and two patients turns into four patients. So as long as we just go slow and steady, I mean, I didn't have a dream to have like this huge practice right off the bat. I, I think that's actually what I didn't want. Cause I think if you grow too fast, um, things kind of get out of hand and I have a really green team. And so I also anticipated that I would be like really heavily teaching like my nurses and other staff members. And so I was like, I don't, I don't need to grow fast. I just need like literally one patient to come in the door. That was mm -hmm. my end goal. Now you were, you were a division one athlete, right? You're a gymnast. <clears throat> yeah. You think that helped you? Without a doubt. Yeah. Why, why would you say that? I think on one hand, I think it's hard for me to, say what gymnastics did to me because, or like how I would be different without it because I never knew a life without it. But I think I'm always someone who likes hard work. I know that you're not going to like hit the routine on like the first time around. Like I knew like my face, my first facelift on my own is not going to be my best facelift. You know, I know that everything just takes like extreme dedication and like work and just constantly being critical of your results and trying and trying and trying and trying and trying again and constant reevaluation. Like, what am I doing different? What should I try next time? I mean, gymnastics is a really hard sport mm -hmm. and you have to make it look somewhat effortless, which is very analogous to our field, I mm -hmm. would say. 
Yeah. I, <clears throat> I was a wrestler and, you know, that's where I got a lot of my grit from. And my secret weapon is I knew I could outwork people. That was it. I just knew I could outwork people. And I knew that that gave me comfort thinking that when push comes to shove, I'm going to go into a community and these people are going to be, you know, comfortable and I'm going to outwork them. It's funny you say that because, like, I remember, I don't know which residency interview I was on, but someone asked me, like, well, what would make you a good resident? Are you super smart? And I said, no, I'm, I am not the smartest person in this room, but I can outwork just about anybody. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, it, you know, and you don't have to do that for two very, I mean, actually, I say that, you know, one of my, I have a lot of one-liners in one of them now, and I've used it probably even today a couple of times, is that, you know, you can, you know, I don't know what success is, but complacency is the last hurdle, uh, you know, for success. And, and you know, I still wake up and hustle like I'm broke every day because, uh, that and then when you when you stop feeling that way, you know that's why they retire CEOs at the age of sixty five because they just don't have it anymore to to push themselves and drive themselves and be better. Um, <clears throat> one thing I found that's a challenge as a wrestler because there's a lot of uh, similarities with gymnastics is that um, even though it was a team uh, gymnastics wrestling is to some degree an individual sport so. When you lost, you couldn't blame anyone else, right? Yeah. But what I didn't, what I didn't learn in as a wrestler was the importance of a team. And you'll learn this as you start to build a team. It's not about you. It's about that team and the the people who are successful in the business world. If you read all of Jim Collins work, it's about, it's about the team and, um, most successful t- CEOs, it's intuitive to them. They realize their winning formula is their their team, and they they spend a lot of time and energy and resources on building that team. And I, I that's one of the reasons I'm not a I'm a big fan of athletics for kids. Not because my kids going to be my kids are all grown up now, but not because my kids are going to be the next you know what, but because you learn how to win, lose, you know, get your butt kicked, and come back harder and all the life lessons of, and by the way, you're never going to win championships, you know, with, um, you're never going to win championships with one rock star. You need a whole team. And so as you start to build and you're right, your team is, is young and green, but, um, with a very deliberate effort, you can build that high performance team. Um, so I did think it was, I thought that was interesting and I, and I bet there's some similarities there as to why, you had confidence in yourself that you would do this, you know, be able to do it. Now you started in, in your kind of thinking about this in your residency. Um, and I, I, I gotta give you credit. It's a lot of guts to go build a building, right? You build it. I mean, I checked it out online. It's a beautiful facility. Um, that didn't scare you. It still scares me. Yeah. yeah. <clears throat> yes. Every day I'm scared, which is why I think I push myself as hard as I do. Yeah. Well, um, based- yeah. I also think it's good to do scary things. You know, there's a real balance between comfortability and challenging yourself. Um, So, yeah, this was a huge risk. Yeah, I did. I When I went out of my own, you know, people were like, so, you know, and what I learned is by committing, committing early on that it just put a real fire under my butt, you know, um, 
And I'm sure you felt the same thing. I mean, you can't let your husband down, right? He's uh, he's going out on a limb for all this. How did you convince? Now I, I saw that you got a, a SBA, a, a small business loan. How did you convince someone to loan you money? Because that's always a challenge. Just came in with a lot of data and a lot of transparency. Um, I actually Googled like plastic surgery pro forma. Mm -hmm. And I found this Excel spreadsheet that said, you know, you got a single surgeon. Um, you know, my husband helped me because he's good with like documents and numbers and yeah. putting things together. But it's like month by month. If we open this month and I literally see one patient my first yeah. week and that turns into a neuromodulator. I think that would bring in this much revenue. And then, you know, if I do one surgery my second month, so we just, we plugged in numbers for volume. And then we said, this was how much revenue that would bring in. I wasn't quite sure my fixed and variable costs at that point, but I was getting information from other people that I was asking. And I projected a 20% growth month over month for both non-surgical and surgical procedures. Mm -hmm. And I think that put us profitable, like within 18 months. Mm -hmm. um, and I told the bank, I was like, this is like a total guess. I, I don't have a clue yet on some of these things, but this is the best I have. And so they, I mean, I don't know how much he went back to his board or group or whatever. And they just said yes. And then I initially started with 250,000 for a line of credit. And I think right after I opened, I ended up taking out 50,000 more. Mm -hmm. And I've since been okay. And I'm set to start paying it back in seven months, which I think we're on track to be able to do that. Yeah, that's pretty, that's pretty awesome. I did something similar. I, I convinced a bank or I convinced the hospital to lend me money back when you could, you could, this hospital really wanted me. And I think they thought I was going to fail in facial plastics, but they'd be able to get me to do ENT, you know, and I took, I took space in their building and I did the same thing. I mean, I think it's interesting, interesting about a business plan or a pro forma is that it's never, you know, years later, you're going to look back at it and laugh, right? Because it's not exactly what you projected, but going through that exercise, I think is what convinces the lender to say, okay, well, this person has given this a lot of thought. It's not just in the, um, and I think for me, it was 125,000 or something back then. And I got about halfway through that line of credit. And then I was able to hold there because I had the same thing. I knew, you know, the problem, you know, borrowing money is great, but you do have to pay it back. <laughs> so you know, at some point, and, um, you know, one of the things I was, because people, sometimes the fellows are like, you mean all of this? You're like, you signed for personally? I'm like, yeah, I did. So the building you're in, did, do, did, did that um, entity find, you know, your or your, son, your husband's, um, the group, did they find it's the building for you or? Well, we looked, we looked at existing buildings in the southern part of Kansas City and we started to think about the cost associated with renovating and making it compliant with the Kansas law for surgery centers. Right. And it was like, wow, this is going to be a huge, so you're buying the land and the property and you're doing the renovation. And so I was like, maybe it would be better just to, to look for land and to build something like de novo. So, um, this whole time I was like reaching out to the state of Kansas and I had like their like PDF of like, mm -hmm 
because in Kansas, you have to be licensed by the state. Right. Um, so I was trying to figure out like how many square feet the surgery center had to be at a minimum. You know, was I going to have one OR or two ORs? And so there was a lot of homework that I did before we finally landed on the idea of buying a piece of land and then meeting with some architects and designing it. Uh, you know, I can just tell you historically, you probably made the right decision. Um, I was inspired by Vito Patella. You know, he'd been in practice for a few more years than I had been at that point. And I went out to visit him and he renovated the Eastman Kodak house. And he told me that it cost him like $30,000 to get the water across from under the road. And, and they had to retrofit the place with an elevator. And I was like, whoa, you know, this, you know, it sounded so you know, I did the same thing. I, I said, I, I probably am better off building this to code and starting over scratch, um, which, you know, was kind of, it was definitely very scary, but it was the right, you know, many years later, it was the right thing to do. But one, you know, one of the similarities I had, I, I remember when I was a fellow, we had two fellows at the University of Illinois with Dr. Tardy and Teriyumi and one of my, my littermate, Graham Boyce, who's now in New Orleans, he says, and he goes, and I'm going to remember you the rest of my life with the phone next year. Because I was on the phone that year, like in between cases. And so, I mean, it was, a, I don't say a major distraction, but it really preoccupied me that getting started, um, getting started my practice. What's been your, would you say has been your, your biggest struggle? Oh, there's so many. I feel like... I feel like they have like a newborn baby right now with the practice. Mm -hmm. You know, like when you first become a parent, you worry about every little thing. Like, are they sleeping enough? Like, are they getting enough to eat? Like, do I have them in the right pajamas? Like, it's every component is challenging. And I feel very much that way with this business. It's like from a professional standpoint, you know, did I make every perfect maneuver in my case today? You know, did I do the right daxified dosing on my patient yesterday you know so i'm i'm new i'm a new independent clinician obviously i've had surgical training but you know i'm relatively still young you know in the first five years of my professional career i'm new as a leader i've never i've been a chief resident but arguably arguably leading a group of residents is much different than leading a staff yes of nurses and patient coordinators and front desk people it's not easy no. And I, I try to have the mentality that I work for them like every day that when I show up, I say, I work for them and I'm their teacher and they lean on me and I'm in charge of paying their payroll. Like I got to work my butt off so I can pay their payroll and do all I that. Refer to, I refer to that as, as servant leadership. And that's what I, I'm actually right now I'm having our, our doctors all go through servant leadership training because we are there to, if you understand that, that we are there to serve, not just our patients, but we're there to serve our team. It does make it easier. Um, just like you said, cause it's scary. Yeah. And, and you don't know what you're doing. I didn't, I had no idea. No. In fact, I 10 years into it, I realized how much I didn't know. I was growing in my staff cross costs or my team was growing disproportionately and, and the costs were eating me alive because I was not leading that most expensive resource. If you look at the P and L on any you know, number one is your you know expense of your payroll, yeah. 
benefits. And so what happens in, if you read, you know, one of a scaling up from, from Vern Harnish on why so many companies never get above a certain revenue point, it's because of that. It's because leading and making that team productive is not easy. To me, it's a lot harder than surgery, you, you know, um, Oh, yeah. But you do get better at it if you're open-minded and you're coachable. That's the other thing. Some people aren't coachable, <laughs> you know, especially doctors they are terrible. They think they know everything. Yeah. Well, no, I tell my, I tell my patients, I tell my staff, I tell, I don't, I'm just, I don't know what I'm doing yet, but we're doing the best we can together here. Yeah. Well, humility goes a long ways too. Um, starting out, if you were to advise someone who were maybe two, three years behind you, what would, if you had one thing that you could advise them to do, you know, what, what would it be? I think the thing that has helped me the most is just to have this like razor sharp idea of what I want being so niche. You know, I want to be the cosmetic facial plastic surgeon here. And I want to be an excellent boss and I want to be respectful of all of my patients. And I want them to feel like they have time with me and I listen to them. And I want us to have like a very relaxed environment. And so mm -hmm. yeah, you just, I have this razor sharp image of, of mm -hmm. what I wanted to do. And then so everything kind of falls in line with that. And I think education is such a huge component for my staff becoming more skilled in patient care and decision-making and evaluation. And then patients, you know, educating patients online honestly makes my job easier because people come in and if they have a little complication after surgery or whatever, I say, oh, okay, well, we've... we've we got this going on. We got to do this, this, and this. And they're like, oh yeah, I've already heard you talk about it on Instagram. Like, that's fine. I'm ready to go. I'm, I'll come in tomorrow. And so I feel like educating is part of that razor sharp image of what I have mm -hmm. when it comes to. So I think, I think the first thing that young people can do is try to build like your perfect practice in your mind. You know, if, if you're not doing it for like money or fame or anything, like if you can just go to work every day and do like what you love, like, what do you want to do? Like, do you, do you just want to do facelifts? Do you want to do everything? Um, do you just want to be a rhinoplasty surgeon? Like you should get so razor focused on like what you want and then, and then build out outward or downward or however you want to say mm -hmm. from there. Um, did you ever worry about, because you're doing this, you're going down the road, you're just going to launch a cosmetic practice. Did you ever worry about, you know, if I'm not doing any insurance or skin cancer, what if a recession comes? I mean, what do you say, you know, how, what are your thoughts are? Cause listen, I've been through a few recessions. It's scary, you know, cause the first thing people stop doing is they stop having facelifts, yeah. you know, that did, did that ever were you or or how and how are you resolving that and i can tell you if you're this far into it and you're paying your bills you're going to be just fine because it no I, i'm i'm saying that because whatever you're keeping your expenses under control and you're you know not borrowing at a big rate i suspect you'll be just fine but i do you know 
I've been through a recession. I was through 9-11 and my phone stopped ringing for like mm-hmm. six months. It was scary. I had a bad accident on a horse in 2006. And, you know, I wasn't working for three months. So do you worry about those things ever? Oh, yes. Yeah, I'm a worrier. And when it comes to keeping costs down, like I'm the most... you. You wouldn't believe it by this building, but I'm a very frugal individual, like personally. Um, so yeah, we run a very tight, as tight as we can get expense-wise right now. And the girl, like the nurses that work with me can attest to that. Yeah, you have to. Um, but yeah, the whole insurance thing, I mean, so in the perfect world, I didn't, I didn't love a lot of the insurance stuff that I did in training. It just, it's not what got me really excited. It's not the literature that I tend to read or want to read. Um, and then when I was looking to build out the building, taking insurance actually increased the cost somewhat of construction because no my surgery- The ORs, it would kill you. I'm going to tell you, cause I have two Medicare uh, approved ORs and I, sometimes I wonder, you know, and now we're like pregnant with it. We've been pregnant with it for you know, 25 years. The cost to comply to that is insane. So I thought, well, it's it's not in line with what I love. And it's easier for me to get up and going and slightly less costly if I don't follow CMS stuff. Mm-hmm. So, okay, what happens in the future if I change my mind and want to do insurance? Or what if somebody comes in and wants to operate here and we need an insurance, you know, CMS compliant? It's going to be really painful, but maybe that day will never come. You can always, you can always work in a surgery center too. True. For those, for those cases, you know, if you wanted to do that, right. Say you wanted to do that, you go right. Right. I mean, that's not a problem. No, no. I was just thinking revenue, revenue wise. Like if someone were to come operate here and Mm -hmm. want to take insurance, it's not a, it's not going to be worth it for you. That's my experience. Yeah. Yeah. The cost of compliance is insane when you think about it really. And I, I question it on a, on a daily basis, but we're, you know, we've been at it for so long. I don't, you know, I'm not going back. You remember I was going down the road and Vito Portella said to me like right around like 95 or six or whatever it was. He's like, Ed, just bite the bullet and do the CMS route. You know, I don't know if that was the right decision. I'll be honest. Um, so I know you had, you, you know, without getting into too many specifics, I know you had some struggles and, you know, and during, during your fellowship year, um, you ended up not finishing the fellowship, right? That's correct. Yeah. But you can still get board certified. I can. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, um, it's, it's a matter of getting the cases and taking the test and whatever. And I'm sure you would do, you would pass the test easily. Um, that's a, I mean, I, I reread what you submitted and that sounds like an awful experience that you had. Um, and, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm not sure. Um, why, why do you, you know, it seems like you were treated differently during your fellowship. Now, how far, I mean, your, your geographic location is not close, is it? I mean, Kansas city is quite a ways away. Hours. I mean, do you, do you, did you feel that it was maybe a, a threat in some way or? I don't, you know, Dr. Williams, I just, 
there's a lot of internal unrest about the entire thing. Yeah. It's been almost two years since I've left and I still don't feel comfortable divulging my opinion on things. Yeah. In fear of litigation. Yeah. Okay. Repercussions, all that stuff. I'm sorry you had a bad experience and, um, you know, with that, it's, uh, no, I've had nothing but a wonderful experience with the AFPRS and I don't need to get into politics, but, um, yeah, because we need people who are leaders. Um, I think one thing I will tell you is I had something really traumatic happen to me as a med student. I was slapped physically in the face and I've come out and talked about this, so it's not, but I was slapped by a physician as a medical student, like in the face, like in front of other people. That's not cool. And I, that, that instance, I think informed me of how one, how the medical education system works Mm -hmm. and what's tolerated. And it also made me take a stance in on the ground. Like this is what I will tolerate and this Mm -hmm. is what I won't. And so there were a lot of people who were like, just finish your fellowship. Like, what's the big deal? You only have two months left. And for me, I was like, you know what? No, for me personally, I'm just not, I'm, it, this is not right for me. And so I'm going to just step away. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, it's, uh, it's unfortunate because it, that no one, you know, no one deserves to not have a good experience with it. And, um, I'm sure you're very, very well trained, you know, as, as a result of all of your hard work and everything else for someone who's starting out, you know, it, it sounds like you've done a really good job with your social media. Any advice you could give someone? Social and, you media. Know, what has been your strategy? Like you must have some strategy, right? My strategy is to be extremely open-minded mm-hmm. and push volume. I think surgeons and really, anyone professionally, whether you're an attorney or a real estate broker that sells a lot of homes. I mean, you have this tendency to only want to put out like the perfect stuff. But when you learn that the average person scrolling Instagram spends like two seconds on your post, it's better, in my opinion, to put out seven pieces of content that are about 80% perfect than it is to put out two pieces of content that are perfect because you always want to remain top of mind. You know, we're in a very like high trust field. People think about just like buying a house, like people know who they're going to use for their realtor a year before they decide to list their house because they've seen the person it's word of mouth, it's trust. And you only sell your house like once every so many years. You know, same with cosmetic surgery. People think about this stuff for a really long time, I think, before they call and make an appointment, come in for a consultation. And so if in my mind, I'm not trying to get people in the door tomorrow. I'm trying to lay a framework for them to be comfortable coming to me in a year or 10 years or sending their mom to me in 15 years. Mm -hmm. I think if you can remain top of mind, That's number one. And again, with the razor sharp vision of my practice, I think having a razor sharp image of who are your patients? Who do you want to market to? 
And so for me, I consider my practice kind of bimodal. I have the young people who want to keep up with stuff like neuromodulators and fillers and, um, you know, in-office treatments of their skin. And then I have the surgical patients and they are either older and wanting aging face stuff or they're younger and wanting tweaks like rhinoplasty, chin implant, that kind of thing. And so if you can ask yourself, like I did a survey, it sounds so stupid. I literally emailed all of my girls that I know, like all my friends, yeah. my acquaintances. I did this in fellowship very early on. And I sent them like a Google survey and I was like, list in order or rank all the different social media outlets that you spend time on. Do you have Instagram? Do you have Facebook? Do you have TikTok? Do you use LinkedIn? Like I just did a survey and then I asked them like, how many hours a day do you think you spend on these? Would you like to see posts or videos? If I do posts, do you want to see before and afters? Like it was this huge long survey. And so I think constantly querying yourself, like who are the patients and what platform are they on? And then just, I'm not like married to any one platform. I don't, I could care less like what it's called and who owns it. I'm just trying to figure out where the attention is. And if you can figure out where people's attention is, that's where you go and you post stuff. And if you tend to be open-minded, you tend to go earlier and create stuff earlier. And so there's a lot of attention. And so like TikTok for me has been amazing. I, I would say almost half of my facelift patients so far have found me on TikTok. No kidding. No kidding. The very yeah. first one. Yeah, it was on TikTok. Yeah, that's interesting. So... I mean, I read something, heard something about a month ago that like, yeah, you, you may feel like, oh, I'm just putting something out and everybody's covering this, but everybody's not you and everybody's not your perfect personality and everyone's not your demographic. And so when people in your demographic hear, um, you know, Dr. Umstead saying, um, talk about your philosophy on the thread lift versus a facelift. That's you. That's your personality. And in, in the bottom line is social media is social people. And that's why people who try to outsource it end up. It's a financial idiot disaster because they, they, it's not your personality. It's somebody else trying to be you. Um, do you, you know, do you try to post every day, twice a day, several times a day? Um, try to hit all the different outlets or, you know, and then repurpose it, I'm sure, right? To some degree, same content. Yeah. In my mind, more is better always in all directions, every platform. Um, right now, I probably, I don't have like strict goals, but I try to post two to three TikToks a day. Those videos have changed a lot since I started posting on the platform years ago. I used to do like the trendy stuff. And now I just answer questions. Like I get so many questions in my comments that I just like hit reply. And I, I just have like a constant question base, which is great. So what are your, what are your feelings on threads? And so I like talk for two minutes about threads, post the video, and then I can download that video without the watermark and repost on Instagram and Facebook. Um, I follow Gary Vaynerchuk very closely. I was going to ask you if you, you, if you, you know, I read his book, you know, crushed it and crushed it, crushing it and crushed it. And I was going to, because you said, I'm not married to one. He says that in his second book. 
I'm like a prodigy of him. I try to yeah, consume yeah. and yes, and jab jab punch. Yeah, yeah. Like, I yeah, teach jab, jab punch. Yeah. Like we're we're soon to like start a text line with patients, and I don't know if you have signed up for Gary V's text line, but yeah. it's very it's very jab jab punch. He'll send like these great like inspirational little sayings or quotes, and like you always. As a consumer, you when you see a text from him, you're like so excited to read it because it always makes you feel good. And so I think constantly putting out great content, educational stuff, like positive vibes. He's very funny. Then then ask patients like, hey, do you want to come in for Botox? But if you constantly give, 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 right. they, the, it, it will be returned. And, and so that's what he says basically, right? No one wants to see buy my shit, buy my shit, buy my shit. Right. That no. What they want is, you know, content. And he, he I like when he's, you know, people say, I have been at this for whatever. And, you know, I'm just not gaining traction. He was, yeah, your content sucks. <laughs> yes. But, and very yeah. much like don't be your own judge. And so I, I think that's another great thing for people who are trying to post more, get their name. Don't be the judge of your own content. This is something that Gary Vaynerchuk has taught me. Put everything out there. Post three times a day for a year. Don't look at the number of views. Go and read the comments because the comments inform you what people are thinking, what questions they have, what they want to know more about. And then after a year, go back and look at the views, which videos did great and which videos sucked. And don't take the videos down that sucked because it, even if a video only got five views, it only takes one person to call your office to make an appointment. And so oftentimes it's not the videos that go viral that end up actually producing a patient. It's the videos that are more informative and that tend to click with somebody. And videos work. I mean, people don't just want to see before and afters, right? They want to see you. They want to see your personality. Yes. So how do you know you're gaining traction? I mean, you know, I, I know this for a fact because I interviewed a guy who, uh, uh, Derek DeMeo, really smart as hell guy who made a fortune in, you know, digital, whatever. And he, um, you know, he talks about, you know, just keep keeping content out there, keeping content out there. But he said to me, he goes, Ed, all, everybody buys followers, right? They buy followers, they buy likes, they buy whatever. And if you look at a number of our colleagues that are, you know, world renowned Beverly Hills, whatever, they've been in practice two years and they're buying all these, this, you know, followers and buying all the likes and buy, you know, I, I mean, the purists say, don't do that stuff. Right. No, but no. yet so many people do it. I would say that's a giant waste of money. You should go buy your staff lunch instead of pay for some followers. Mm -hmm. Um, I think the real, what about the, what about the argument that, that, you know, perceptions reality. I mean, some people, like I've had patients come in and say, oh my God, you know, Dr. So-and-so they have so many, whatever. And I know they're all bought. I try just not to pay attention to other people because yeah. I think comparison. That's, good advice. That's really good advice. You know, for me, the way I know things are going well is when I, I see every single new lead that comes in on our website. And so, and they're required to click down the drop down, where did you hear about us? Mm -hmm. And so I got three overnight last night. They were all from TikTok. One was surgery and two were neuromodulator patients. So, so how do you, 
how do you quantify how you're doing on, I mean, obviously the surgery schedule is filling because it's coming in, those leads are coming in from these places, but how do you quantify? I don't know if I'm that organized. Okay. Here's what I feel like. I've got a bunch of different bonfires. Yeah. There, you know, I've got like TikTok, Facebook, Instagram, local stuff that I'm starting to delve into. They're all little bonfires. And whenever I see leads come in from one bonfire, I just throw pour more gasoline on that bonfire that week. And then next week it might be a different bonfire, but I try to keep all the bonfires burning at once because you never know which one's going to take off. Next. Well, again, that's, that's coming from Gary Vaynerchuk. He basically says there's only so much real estate out there, meaning people's attention, right? He talks about having someone's attention and it may go from this to that, you know I mean? It may go from, so that's why he's like, don't just all in on Facebook, right? right. Or all in on Instagram. And back a couple of years ago, when people were talking about TikTok, he was saying, you got to do something on TikTok. You don't know where this is going, right? Just listen to Gary Vee and do what he's, he does. That's what I would tell people. Because I've not come up with any of this on my own. I just do it. And if you listen to his videos, which you know, but the listeners sure. on your podcast... He always says, like, I'm telling you exactly what to do. It's not difficult. It just takes um, a little bit of self-confidence to just put yourself out there. And effort. You know, a lot of people, you know, a lot of people don't want to put themselves out there, but a lot of people also just don't want to do the work. It's like life and death for me. That's what I tell myself every day. I've got to post content because that's how I pay my bills and how I pay my staff salary. Yeah. I don't have a choice. I don't have a choice. I have to, I have to post content. Otherwise I can't pay their salary. Yeah. What other work experience have you had in your past before you did, uh, you know, you're, you're obviously you were a gymnast. Did you work anywhere else? Um, I think the thing that helped me the most is I was a server and a bartender at a restaurant mm-hmm. and it really helped. Why, me. Why do you think that helped you? It started to teach me how to read people. And I think it's really important as surgeons or any type of healthcare provider, it's so important to be able to read your patient. You know, I tell patients all the time in clinic, if they're thinking about something, I'm like, you know what? You're on the fence. Nobody needs a single thing we do here. And so why don't you go home and think about it? Like, there's no rush. We can do this tomorrow. We can do it in a year or we could never do it. My job is to just provide you the information, but I can see you're still on the fence and I don't want you to do anything that you're not hundred percent sure about because none of this is functionally needed. I also think it's helpful when people are mad. I mean, some people are upset after surgery for whatever reason. And so I think detecting that and not ignoring it has been helpful for me in gaining people's trust during this giant process of recovery that we see them through. Yeah, no, I don't, I don't disagree. How do you deal, you know, I've got enough gray hair that it's, it had become much better at dealing with uh, unhappy patients. And some of it is getting thick skin. You know, because you, you get older, you, you realize, and you've managed, ex- managed expectations. I used to take it much more personally when I was younger. Maybe I didn't do a good job managing expectations. How do you deal with the unhappy, unhappy, the occasional? Because we it doesn't happen all the time, right? <laughs> Only no, but we have our share of unhappy patients, right? What yeah. do you think that comes from? 
I don't have a great way of dealing with it. I worry about my practice and my patients and my staff constantly, mm-hmm. probably to an unhealthy level. And I, I think that's part of being new. Yeah, no question. And that, that it, with, with time, you get experience. I know, you know, I've had fellows come in. They'll be like, like, I'll, I'll get in and we have you know, busy day in the OR and they're like, I, get, I say, look at it. Let me look at the charts. And I look at them over and they're like, you really don't even know what you're doing when you come in here. I'm like, yeah, but it took me years to like, you know, get I used here. to do I do a rhinoplasty. I couldn't sleep that week, you know, but that's part of being, part of being young. But I think, uh, you know, I think going the direction that you've gone and, and it makes you grow up fast when you, and that's one of the reasons I want to talk to you because I do like to get to know people. And I, I was, I was intrigued by your story. Why, why were you, why did you offer? Why were you interested in, in being, uh, being on the podcast? I'm a, I'm like a number one fan. I've learned, I've learned so much from you. Like just the other day, I was re-listening to some of your podcasts preparing for tonight and just like your, um, I mean, I feel like I've taken something from every single one of your interviews with people. And thank you. That's that's why I do it. You know, I stopped doing it about six months ago, maybe more. And I went to the meeting and I had so many people come up to me and thank me. I'm like, I, well, I got to keep this going. You know, and for me, it's fun because I get to know people, you know, like I, I, I didn't know who you were before until I pulled up the stuff and I saw my old email. I'm like, oh, yeah, I remember this whole story. But but uh, and then I found your story intriguing because not a lot of people have the guts to go out on their own. It's not easy. You know, I did it and I still have scars from it <laughs> because, you know, I still have scars from it. But but it may be a better it may be a tougher person. You know, it may be a tougher person. Um, so I, I appreciate the, you know, the compliments, but I do it now because I, I get to know people. I've interviewed, I mean, I last month I did Tim Mint and the month before. Tim was my fellow, you know, 15 years ago. And it's great. I get to have a conversation with him for an hour, you know, that I normally, even at the meetings, it's had, other than you're sitting, if you're sitting next to someone at dinner, you know, we don't have a lot of time at the meetings to get to chat with somebody and really kind of dig deep into, you know, what makes them, what are you, what, what, you know, what are you most proud of? I mean, I mean, obviously your family, right. But what are you most proud of that you've overcome? And, you, you know, when you think back in the last 10 years in, in your, you know, your career per se. Probably becoming a mother. Yeah. 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 That's a, that's it's a, hard. and, um, you know, the, the platforms that I post on, I don't just do stuff about my office necessarily. I always, I also talk about becoming a mom and being a pregnant surgical resident and not having any maternity leave. And I'm probably most proud of that because it's been, I mean, parenting is the hardest thing we do. You know, this practice is, is difficult, but but parenting is, is the hardest thing. So that's probably what I'm most proud of. Yeah. I think when your kids are young too, you, you worry about being around for them, you know, all that stuff, that crazy stuff, right? I used to worry about, you know, my health and what if I'm not there for them? I don't want someone else to raise them, all that kind of stuff, right? But yeah. getting back to social media, you know, that's why it isn't so important. Again, this is back to you know, Gary Vaynerchuk's work. He said, you know, people like to see your humility. They like to see your humor. You know, and they like to see that you're genuine. And I think that's why 
those posts do well, not just, you know, oh, see my before and afters, right? Yes. Yeah, because we had a... Weave that personal part of things. We had an event the other night. It was like a Cinco de Mayo party and anybody could come. We had like food and drinks and a giveaway. And it was so wild because I had several patients there and some of them are like healed up from surgery or relatively healed, you know, and um, I was just like pinching myself, like on the way home, I was like, somehow this is actually working. Like, how, how is this actually working? Like some days I still don't believe I'm actually get to come to work every day. Like yeah. I do. Well, I can tell you historically, anecdotally, you're doing great because if you are paying your bills this far into it, this early into it, um, you are doing something right because it's not easy. I mean, part of it is, you know, living, you know, your early years, I live very frugal. You know, I, I uh, the time, that's not the time to be a big spender and ride and run around a Ferrari and all, Ferrari and all that nonsense. But, uh, uh, but um, you know, whatever you're doing is, is you're doing something right. I do, um, Laura, want to, Lauren, want to, you know, respect your time. So I just wanted to, um, I typically wrap it up at about 45, 50 minutes because the average commute's about 45 minutes or so. What questions do you have for me? If you, if there were something like, if you were looking for advice, anything that I can help you with, or, you know, give you some guidance. It seems like you've been doing a lot of paying attention anyway. So I want you to talk for maybe two minutes about things that have worked and things that haven't worked when it comes to building up your team. It's a great one. So things that haven't worked, because that's, you learn your biggest lessons on things that haven't, you know, and, um, you know, after you, you lose money and momentum, um, you don't like doing that again. Right. It hurts. <laughs> yeah. You grow up fast. So, um, I'm much more patient now because um, I'll give you a couple of examples. We, I wanted to bring on a, I was like, okay, I got, I was in practice a number of years. I was like, okay, I want to bring in a plastic surgeon. And you may have heard me talk about this in the podcast, but the question or what I tell people is you got to ask yourself why, you know, why? And I wanted it more than I should have wanted it. And I brought on someone I didn't have. Now I have something to offer them. We have this amazing place you show up for, but I wanted it before my time. And I lost multiple six figures on that. So, you know, be patient, do your research. Um, we opened up a rejuva center, which, you know, we have a non-surgical entity that's top 150 of 5,000 in the country as far as volume goes, right? But I opened one up, uh, well, it was two, in Saratoga Springs before our time. And I didn't have boots on the ground that were people of our culture and, you know, lost a fortune in a year and a half and pulled the plug on that. What I learned from it is opening a second or location or you have got to have boots on the ground of your people you trust and your key people. Um, what have I done that has worked? Um, 
committing to my building and operating room when I was a young, young surgeon. I was 37 when I signed papers. And it was funny because Buckingham uh, was my former fellow, he was a good friend of mine. He, he said to me when he was a fellow, he's like, well, why would you put a building in and all this other and take all that risk? Man, now he's in his 50s. He's just finished his building. But, you, you know, there, you know, it's it's all about it's acquisition of wealth over time. It's not how much money I made last year. And, and if you stay focused on, you know, the acquisition of, of wealth for your family, not for you, it doesn't really matter. And stay focused on that. And, and, and what has worked for me is um, not giving a damn about what people think about me. Um, staying true to who I am. You know, I, I do, I, I, I enjoy the fact that people respect me, but I'm not trying to be anything. I don't care what watch I wear. I don't care what car I drive. Um, and yet I didn't realize how, oh, well, you listen to Gary Vaynerchuk, right? He's, he says, I, he blows my mind how many people run around trying pe- to impress people they can't freaking stand. That's one of his lines, right? Yeah. And so I've always been um, true to myself and my family and, um, you know, and, and I've had, you know, I have a beautiful home now, but in the early years, I really didn't care what people thought about me, except I wanted to earn res- people's respect. And so there are some things that have worked for me and some things that didn't work for me um, um, and staying true to yourself. I think that's really, 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 really important. Um, I, I get a pretty good feel that, you know, you're, you're doing all those things, you know, right now. Um, so one of my, one of my patients the other day, she was like, Oh, I like your skirt or I don't know what I had on. She was like, where'd you get it? And I was like, I got the goodwill. And she was like, no, you didn't. She's like, I paid you how many thousands of dollars for my facelift in your shop at the goodwill. And I was like, I, I love the goodwill. And by the way, ma'am, all that money does not go to me. You probably know that. Yeah. Yeah. So no. yes, yes. Um, but thank you so much for tonight and for all of the stuff you've put out, your book, your podcast, your lectures oh, and meetings. My feeling is if I can inspire one person and, and I'm loyal to facial plastic surgeons, of course, um, if I can inspire one person to, you know, to make themselves a little better, take some chances and, and to be successful, mm-hmm. then, you know, I win. And I do get, I get a big kick out of it when you know, when people come up to the meetings and just say, thank you so much for putting those podcasts out. I've learned a lot from them. So if I'm in Kansas City, I'm going to come visit you. We go All to right. a game. All right, Lauren. Listen, have a great night. Thanks so much for uh, agreeing to get on with me. I really appreciate it. Thanks, Dr. Lawrence. All right.